Hey, Hope family, it's November, and it's been for a few days now. I'm excited for all that God has for us as we head into this holiday season. As you heard on Wednesday, Dana will be sharing songs that point us toward gratitude in this Thanksgiving season. Be sure to be listening to all Worship Wednesdays this month and find ways to practice gratitude and allow the habits that you build in this month to carry you moving forward as well. For the month of November and the year two Bible reading plan, we are reading through the books of James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Jude. Sounds like a lot, but it's actually just over 20 chapters, so not a ton of reading actually needs to be done. We begin with the book of James, which is such a great book, five chapters, and it's full of practical wisdom. It's written by the half-brother of Jesus. I'm hardly the first person to make this point, but what a testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. If you have siblings, consider what it would take for you to prove to them that you were the Messiah. It would probably take you dying and coming back to life. James, and we'll see in a few weeks, Jude, were two of Jesus' brothers who clearly came to believe their brother was indeed the promised Messiah. Throughout the book of James, there are echoes to the teachings of Jesus. He also draws heavily from the book of Proverbs. We could easily do a month's worth of devotional thoughts on this book alone, but I'm tasked with choosing two. So we're going to start in chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, likely a familiar bit of scripture, and depending on your background, perhaps a controversial one. Let's read. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one? Good. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham, our father, justified by works in offering Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. This passage has sparked much debate between Protestants and Catholics and Bible college undergrads. You see that a person is not justified by faith alone. Those are strong words, and for some, an apparent contradiction from what we read elsewhere, like in the book of Galatians or Ephesians, where Paul says, For you are saved by grace, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. And while I don't want to be dismissive to thousands of years of Christianity that has come before me, I do want to say that I think we allow ourselves to get a little too confused by all of this. I don't know that I have it all figured out. But I think that it is clear that we must have a faith in Jesus Christ and his saving work and that this faith will lead us to do good works. Jesus and Paul tag team to help us see this in a different light. In Matthew 5, 43 to 46, Jesus tells his listeners, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the 
on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Here, Jesus broadens the boundaries of our love. We are not simply to love our neighbor, but even our enemies. And it's not just warm feelings. The the analogy that Jesus uses is his Father in heaven who makes it to rain on the just and the unjust. He actually gives them something, rain, that will help them their crops to grow. And so we are to love our enemies in the same way, that we are giving something to them. Paul in Romans 12 tells the church, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Again, this love of enemy is not just nice feelings. It may not be nice feelings at all. It's loving action toward those who consider you an enemy. When Jesus and the apostles refer to our enemies, they are talking about those who harbor hostility toward us, not those whom we are hostile towards. The way of Jesus is aware of the former, but makes no room for the latter. But just as our love is not simply something we believe in our minds or feel emotionally, it's something we have to act upon. We don't simply refuse to say mean things about people who attack us. We seek to meet their physical needs. We show them our love, not just tell them about it. Our faith works similarly. I'm almost done reading Having the Mind of Christ, Eight Axioms for Cultivating a Robust Faith. So you won't have to hear me talk about it too many times, but I have linked to it uh, in case you want to buy it. But just last night, I was reading the chapter on the eighth axiom, which they state this way. God transforms us through embodied participation. God transforms us through embodied participation. They go on to explain, this means that we grow in our capacity to receive and give God's love not merely by thinking or believing correctly, but rather by trusting Jesus in our bodies, taking concrete steps of faith in our actual lives and relationships. Think through all the physical actions you've learned to do over your life. Riding a bike, driving a car, cooking, changing a tire, changing a diaper, cutting the grass, tying your shoes. How many times did you fail at doing those things? How long until you felt comfortable doing it? How many of those things could you have learned simply by believing the right things or reading books about it? You had to actually put them into practice. This is what Jesus did with his disciples. They followed him for a while and watched him heal people and cast out demons. And then he sent out 70, two by two, to go and do it. They had to actually learn how to do it. And they had great success, but they also had failures. Times where there were demons that they could not dispossess. And they had to go to Jesus and say, how do we do this? They had to actually do it to learn the lesson. And if we are to be followers of Jesus, we have to live as he lived, not simply believe as he believed. Ask him to show you what concrete step you can take to put your faith into action this week.